So let's move into our sermon material. We're talking, we got this series going called Travel Light. And talking through uh, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus talks about uh, burdens that we walk through life with. And he invites us to lay down our burdens. And so we talked about laying down guilt and uh, pride and anxiety and um, our rights. And today, we're already in the fifth week of this, which just blows me away how fast time gets rolling when I do these things, um, these, these longer teaching series. We're going to talk about the gavel today, laying down the gavel, because the gavel is heavy. The idea is judging. So there's this verse in the Bible that I think every American has heard and can quote. It goes something like this, judge not lest ye be judged. It's the only time the average population will say the word lest or ye, but, and, and nobody knows where it's at in the Bible. They just know that somewhere it says, judge not lest ye be judged. They'll go King James, and, and the truth is, I mean, that's not even King James Version. It's just like this hybrid thing that's out there in the, the public consciousness but everybody seems to know that somewhere in the Bible it says not to judge. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Um, I want to talk today a little bit about that um, because Jesus does. I mean, that, that is a quote from Jesus. And, and it just, you know, it's one of those deals where it's fairly straightforward, yet there's some implications with it because I think that, that you would agree that this world would would become crazy quick if truly there was officially like no right, no wrong, no ability to in any way implement judging over anybody else in any regard, um, man, it would get messy quick because there's a lot of idiocracy out there. And um, if there's nobody to, def to define it, then where do we go from there? So uh, let's talk a little bit about judging. Now, um, I think that we can learn a lot about the, the, the state of um, non-judgmental preference through this series called American Idol, which came on the scene, what was it, I don't know, what's it been now, 15 years ago, something like that. If you're older than 30, um, you remember the early days with Paula Abdul, Simon Cowell, and Randy Jackson, and... Um, uh, it was a different culture of judging back then in terms of American Idol uh, than it is today. There's been an evolution. So in those days, um, Simon Cowell was the, the, the fiercest. He would have the, the most uh, real feedback for these contestants. Here are a few quotes from uh, Simon Cowell in the glory days of, of judging in American Idol. Uh, you look a little odd. Your dancing is terrible. The singing was horrendous, and you look like one of those creatures that live in the jungle with the massive eyes. Uh, another uh, moment uh, from Simon Cowell. You're a beautiful girl, but you're ugly when you perform. <laughs> and then, um, my personal favorite, it was boring. Your voice sounded a bit whiny. You look terrified. And it looks as if you've been shut up in your bedroom for about a month. You look verging on haunted, pale, you know. So that was, uh, that was Simon Cowell. And then uh, uh, Randy was somewhere like in between where he, he would not quite hit that hard. He would say like, you know, 
uh, man, it wasn't good. Like that, that's how you know that you missed it. But he wasn't afraid to say, man, it wasn't good. Uh, and, and then Paul Abdul, the worst she was going to give you was something like, I know you can do better. Like that. Okay, and that was the early days of American Idol. Then came the voice. And the voice was a whole different approach. The voice was non-judgmental. Everybody was a star on the voice. Every performance was amazing, jaw-dropping. These uh, judges who had made it uh, in, in the real music scene couldn't wait to hear the contestant on the radio. They couldn't wait to buy their album. They, they couldn't wait to one day maybe open for the contestant who you heard as clearly mediocre. But the, the, the voice was much more of a non-judgmental approach to singing. And now, with the return of American Idol, you might have noticed if you watched it last season, it's much more that way. Like Simon Cowell isn't back. And it's not nearly as judgmental. It's much more everybody did great. Uh, and, and I think what we see there is, is sort of our, our country's preference. Because they're going to do what makes the most money and gets the most viewers. They're going to pander to the crowds. And clearly the crowds prefer a non-judgmental approach to that kind of a show. So uh, what I want to do is I want to talk about how we can sort of, I don't know, get it right. How do we get this Jesus teaching, this don't judge right, and still uh, see our society move forward. So um, I'm going to read a few Jesus teachings. And then... Um, what I want you to do as I read this is pay attention to where you land on the spectrum. So you're listening to yourself for like, what's your reaction uh, to these teachings from Jesus? And then we'll talk more about that in a minute. Okay. So here's the one that everybody misquotes, or at least quotes and doesn't know where it came from. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So that seems to me to be both clear and uh, reciprocal, in the sense that uh, somehow your um, manner of judging, uh, the, the, the tendency to judge whatever, comes back around to ultimately affect you. And, and so here's, here's what I want you to, you're probably going to have one or two sides, of, you're going to be on either side of the spectrum. Either you are on the, that's right, side of the spectrum, where you say, that's right, don't judge. Don't judge me, you don't know me, don't judge. Um, or the other end of the spectrum is, well, yeah, but, where it's like, okay, Jesus says don't judge, yeah, yeah, but, and, and you're going to tend to do some things in your mind to, to come up with yeah, but there are these passages of Scripture. Yeah, but what about this where you're like sort of, and I don't want to say this in a negative way, uh, kind of fighting for um, being able to judge or critique others. So, so, so which side of the spectrum? Here's the next teaching from Jesus. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. See, you get that clarity and this idea of reciprocal, what, however you 
throw out judgment, it's coming back around to you. Condemnation, it's coming back around to you. So do you find yourself on the, that's right, don't judge, or, yeah, but, what about this and this and this? Like, you see what I'm saying with the two ends of the spectrum there? Then one last one. This is from the Beatitudes. Um, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. So you get that idea of just mercy, mercy, mercy for all. Um, and then you receive that back. So, so that's what I want you to do. Exercise number one. Which side of the spectrum are you on? And then I'm going to take the rest of my time to talk to those, each side of the spectrum. And we can figure out what are the implications of each side of the spectrum. And, and how do we get this right? How do we get the judging thing right? Because I think it's safe to say a world without any kind of corrective judgment or opinions even is a pretty difficult world to live in. Like it could get crazy fast if the police force stopped, you know, judging people or if the judges stopped sentencing people because they say, I don't want to judge. Uh, at the same time, Jesus says, don't judge. So how do we get it right? So first thing, let me talk to those of you on the side of the spectrum that are inclined to say, that's right, that's right, don't judge. Like, you are a non-judgmental person, you don't appreciate people judging you, nor do you judge others, and you wish the whole world could be like that. Or maybe uh, you work with people or live with people, you have family members with people, did I say that right? You have family members, um, members of your family, I'm trying to work in with people, and I'm, anyway, um, maybe some of this stuff can help you <clears throat> deal with that. So, first of all, If you generally like to avoid uh, being judgmental, the first thing I could say is, well, good, because one of the hallmarks of Jesus was inclusion. Inclusion and acceptance was a hallmark, a trait that Jesus was known for. Now, as you read the Gospels, you will see many places where it says Jesus ate with. He ate with prostitutes. He ate with tax collectors. He ate with sinners. Sometimes it names the sin, sometimes it just gives it general. Now, when you see ate with in Scripture, uh, that's essentially synonymous with uh, sort of tolerance. Like you can use that term to say he tolerated or he was tolerant toward or he was inclusive, he was accepting of. Um, doesn't necessarily mean he agreed with everything and there was no right and no wrong in Jesus' mind. It just means he went over the top to extend uh, an inclusive hand a tolerant hand toward a group of people. And he was known for this. He was actually sort of a reputation. They would say he's a friend of sinners. He eats with drunkards and tax collectors and whatever. So, so when you see that word eats with, you can know that one of the hallmarks of Jesus was tolerance and inclusiveness. It's just a biblical fact. One of the hallmarks of Jesus was tolerance and inclusiveness. So if you tend to be on that side of the spectrum where you're like, that's right, don't judge, understand that, that you're, you're, you're on to something because Jesus was very non-judgmental even though he was the judge of all things. So there's that piece. Now, um, let me move on to um, sort of the flip side of an inclination to not judge because there's, if, if you're on that side of the spectrum, you also need to be aware of some things. Non-judgmentalism is a good thing and it's a biblical thing. 
But um, there are some things we also got to be aware of because we can go too far with it. So take a look at Ephesians 4, if you want to follow along. Um, Ephesians 4.22, that's on page uh, 1081 of the Blue Bibles out there. And, um, and, and Paul says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now here is one of the big problems with non-judgmental with a non-judgmental approach to life when you're just like I'm okay and they're okay and I don't want to condemn I don't want to look down on I'm not going to say that they're wrong or if you go too far down that path another hallmark of the presence of God and God's activity in your life is transformation so we see there from Paul that there's what he calls true righteousness the idea that there's a standard there is a standard of behavior, of, of approach to life. And we move from where we are toward that, like there's a progression there. There's an old and there's a new. And so if you never invite anybody into your life who's going to say anything uh, that kind of points to that standard, who says, no, there is a standard and here it is and you're kind of down here, if you have nobody in your life that could do that, nor do you welcome that, nor do you aspire to that, nor do you aspire to helping other people find that kind of growth, you see the way uh, you, you would be robbed of that transformation. You could apply that to all sorts of, of venues in life. But spiritually speaking, there is this true righteousness, this standard, this truth, which represents an absolute, and we move character-wise toward that. And so if there's no judgmentalism whatsoever, there's never a this is right and this is wrong and nobody's speaking into your life, it's going to be hard for you <clears throat> to progress <clears throat> toward that. So there's this uh, author named uh, Kim Scott and she wrote this book called Radical Candor. Now she has a bit of a potty mouth. Uh, it was a good book. I read it in about three settings but there's some words in there that can't necessarily recommend. Um, she had this fascinating concept that, that she calls it um, um, ruinous empathy. Ruinous empathy. And it's this idea of, of when we empathize, when we feel so deeply for someone uh, who is, is doing something, and, and we just can't bring ourselves because we just don't either want to ruin the relationship, we don't want to hurt their feelings, we can't bring ourselves... To, um, to, to telling them what we see, to speaking into their life. So let me give you an example, crude example. Let's just say that I'm out in the lobby and you see that I have toilet paper that has been tucked into my back of my jeans and it's visibly down below my hoodie and I'm walking around in the lobby with that. Now, you could think to yourself, I can't tell him that. That, that will embarrass him. That'll be awkward. I don't want to whatever. But what's going to happen then is I'm going to be up on stage with toilet paper hanging, and, and, and that will be ruinous, right? Like, that's, that's probably, uh, uh, that, that's going to take some therapy um, for you guys, for me, for all involved. That's an extreme of this ruinous empathy, and it's a real thing in people's life. Like, they really, 
um, their personality types. Now, the opposite of that is just the, the obnoxious, you know, calling out anything and everything and being as loud and as careless as... But, but you can go to the others and your desire to not disrupt and your desire to be seen as non-judgmental and your desire to be inclusive and tolerant, you can end up doing real damage when we are unwilling to speak. And we'll talk more about like how to do it properly in a minute. But, but you see where there's some dangers to that side of the spectrum that says, that's right, don't judge, and applies that then to all people, all relationships. Um, for, for further, st- well, let me, let me do this first. Um, 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 oh, another example of ruinous empathy is, is uh, like American Idol, that first round, uh, when, and they don't do it as much as they used to, but like when those people come there in front of the judges that are just awful, and you're embarrassed. Like I would, what Kelly would, Kelly loved that show. And if I wanted to spend time with her in the evenings, I would watch American Idol. And there were times when I would find myself like, just like I'm physically recoiling because it was so awkward when these people who thought they were good are singing. And talk about ruinous empathy. Oh my gosh, nobody said anything to them. Like they had a grandparent somewhere saying, oh, you can do it. You can do anything. You... And, and cheered them, tolerated them right in front of those judges on the national TV. Oh my gosh. So, okay. Um, uh, opposite, when you see this done right, um, Paul and Peter, this is Galatians 12, real quick. Galatians 12. But when Peter came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, Paul knew that, that Peter was showing favoritism toward Christians who had a Jewish background uh, versus Christians who had a Greek background, and he caught, got in his face and he called him out. And there's nothing that suggests that, that Paul was out of line here. He saw something, he called it out. He had a relationship with Peter. He wanted the best for Peter. He wanted the best for the church, and he called it out. And if he hadn't, Peter would have continued on this kind of behavior. So there's just your example of what uh, of, of sometimes you got to speak in. So for those of you who land on the non-judgmental side of the spectrum, sometimes you, you got to speak in to the lives of the people around you or ultimately it will be to their ruin or at least they won't get the growth of that. All right, um, let's move on to um, the other side of the spectrum. Uh, that's the, yeah, but, like, don't judge. Yeah, but, what about Peter and Paul? And he got in his face, you know, what, when we're, like, trying to fight for the ability to judge and speak into people's lives and things. So there's just two different personality types. That all it is. Some people are peacemakers and other people are more of like the prophetic, we're going to speak truth um, and call it out. So first of all, for those of you that are on that other end of the spectrum, I could say good because the hallmark of Jesus was truth. One of the hallmarks of Jesus was truth and a standard. Jesus was not afraid was not afraid to speak into the life of his followers and call them out on some pretty heavy levels when they were out of line. So there is absolutely a standard. There is absolutely truth. And Jesus was not afraid to speak into the lives of other people. So if you're on that side of a preference to say the hard thing, there's some good in that because Jesus had that and God certainly uses people and expects at times 
people to do that. So we're on the right track if that's you, but there's a few pitfalls here that I want to talk through. Uh, maybe some scriptures that you could use to balance your tendency to grab the bullhorn and, and go to town, okay? So, oh, by the way, um, I'd love for you, if there's one or two things, just one or two things in any of these talks, grab one of the note cards and write a note, write it out, put it in your pocket, keep it with you. I think that's one of the greatest tools of spiritual growth uh, that we can have as a note card with like one thought on it that we're going to work on that week. So if any of this stuff jumps out or if there was even something in one of the worship songs that jumped out, <clears throat> write it down. Keep it with you because it takes about a week of, of constant for one thing and then maybe you make some growth uh, versus a whole bunch of things or leaving out here with nothing. Because you, you can leave here with uh, the, the great next step, but if it's not written down, you're going to get in your car, you're going to get to Chipotle, you're going to watch the Browns, you're going to whatever, and then, you know, by Monday or Tuesday, it's gone. So a note card's been helpful for that for me. All right, so um, let's look at... Uh, Luke 9, as we talk about the yeah, but, the judgmental side of things, how do we get it right? Luke 9, Jesus sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to take preparations for him, to make preparations for him. Uh, but the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. Now, if you're looking for what that means, basically it'd be like uh, Jesus was going through Pittsburgh, but the people didn't receive him because he was ultimately headed to Cleveland. It's just regional like, like rivalry there that Jesus was, because he was headed to Jerusalem, the people in Samaria weren't happy to receive him because they weren't. Anyway, um, and when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they were mad that they didn't receive Jesus well. Uh, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. So what we get there is this weird, um, um, it, it sounds a little bit hypocritical, in that uh, there's a clear, don't judge them, but it's said while Jesus is clearly judging those who judged. So we, we sort of get, um, Jesus was not afraid to speak truth to people who should have been far down the line in understanding the heart of God. He was, however, very merciful toward people who were at a great distance. Does that make sense? Like, like you start to piece together, how do we get this judging thing right? One of the things that we see is that uh, we, we got to be really careful where our heart is at uh, and the kinds of people, the kinds of people we're yelling at or correcting um, and where our heart's at and what's our motivation. So he gives this, this, this thing in Matthew 7. This is probably some of the best advice that he gives for, for, for judging uh, and getting that right if you have an inclination toward um, being helpful in the lives of others. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your eye, is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give the dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and then turn and attack you. Now here's what Jesus seems to be saying. For those of you that are, are 
tend to want to speak into the lives of others. Number one, Jesus says, be very, um, uh, your first, your knee jerk should be, what's going on in my life? What's going on in my life? Like you are hyper focused first on yourself and your own stuff. And if you're like me, you got plenty to think through. You will be busy for a long time just looking in the mirror and analyzing what's going on in your life. And then once you have created a hyper focus on yourself, then maybe you can help some people grow. But you are first and foremost, you're focused inward way more than you're focused outward. The proportion heavily toward you criticizing yourself first. And then once you realize how low you are on the totem pole, you might be in good shape to help others. Plus then you'll be able to tell people what you learned because you saw the mess that you made. Then, he says, don't throw your pearls to pigs. Now what he seems, to, I don't think he's calling people who are far from God pigs. He's just saying context is everything. Don't bother giving people things they can't handle and their spirit's not ready for. You, you see these Christians at, you know, out in, in Cleveland during lunch hour with bullhorns screaming at people. That's doing that thing that Jesus says not to do. A general crowd that has no interest in following Jesus, they're not equipped to handle the things you're yelling at them. So you're first asking yourself, does this person even, like, are they even in the game? And if they're not, then Jesus like, stop it. Like, put the bullhorn away. Just stop it. And so that's your, when in doubt, stop it. Like, unless you know that someone is even seeking the wisdom that you have to give, you can be 100% right. And that's what's hard in this, is you can know you got the truth. You're 100% right. Just like James and John knew, they were 100% right. These people are rejecting the Son of God, uh, but they weren't ready. And so Jesus is like, if you follow Jesus, then you're not allowed to yell at people who are far from God. Because he's like, don't, don't give holy, give things that are holy to ears that aren't prepared to hear them. So that's just a, a good little reality check there for us before we get too gripey toward, like you might find yourself in an argument with somebody at work about what's right and what's wrong, and, and if you know that they're far from God, then that's probably not anything you need to be too, like there are other steps that need to happen before they're gonna be ready to receive that. Let me, let me show you this in action. <clears throat> this is John 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her uh, in, in his midst, and they said to him, Teacher, this woman's been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women, so what do you say? They said this to test him. They were trying to like use his grace against him, like he's going to have to defy God's word in order to um, be gracious in this situation. And they thought they had him. And, um, and then he bent down and he wrote with his finger in the ground. And as they uh, continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. I would have loved to have seen like this real moment go down what a response 
And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they, were, they uh, went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus left alone uh, with the woman stand. Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And he stood up and he said to, the, to her, woman, uh, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now, Jesus absolutely labels sin here. And by doing so, he affirms truth. Um, But number one, what we can see is Jesus wasn't out looking. He wasn't the sin police. He wasn't out with his badge patrolling the crowds for sin. This was brought to him. And then he dealt with it. And he dealt with it first and foremost by uh, defending her. He risked his life and his reputation to defend her. And then once she saw that, she was probably more inclined to listen to what he had to say. This is very different than screaming at somebody with a bullhorn or you know, getting into a debate those things don't communicate love. They don't communicate any kind of like social risk. They're, they're, like he had defended her and diffused the crowd and protected her. And then he was at a place where he could speak into her life. And what I find today is that most of the Christian voice that, that's yelling the loudest, there really isn't that, um, I'm, I'm not seeing that side that goes first to defend and love and help. It just seems to me like it's more about being right and feeling better about oneself by yelling at someone who isn't even at a place where they can accept what's being said anyway because they're not actually following Jesus often. So uh, I hope that there's some of that in there uh, that, that gives you some things to leave with and, and, and maybe apply to your own end of the spectrum, whichever side you're on. Because this judging thing, man, when you think about the implications of of truly no judging and not inviting people in your life to judge, um, you're probably not going to transform the way God wants you to transform into something better. Uh, At the same time, if we're quick to be judgmental and, and speak toward others who aren't prepared to hear it or where we haven't done the relational work, um, not only are we outside of God's will for our life in doing so, it's just it's not going to do any good. It's probably going to do more harm than it is good. And this stuff is too important. Um, when you talk about spiritual growth, you're talking about family life, you're talking, it's just too important to not do this the correct way. All right, I want to close uh, with, with one more uh, thought from uh, Luke 22. Uh, we're going to close with communion. And uh, I think that there's no better place to close uh, a discussion about being judgmental uh, and and living in community and grace and and mercy uh, than than the communion table. There's a point in Luke 22 when Jesus, he's getting together with his disciples one last time before uh, he was betrayed that night. And um, and he says this amazing, uh, just a staggering statement. Now, at this table uh, are going Judas, Judas. who ultimately betrayed him, uh, Peter, who denied knowing him, Thomas, who isn't going to believe that he rose, uh, many of the other disciples, it says, really doubted uh, and, and, and they scattered uh, when Jesus was arrested. Uh, and yet he's here with these people and he's well aware of what's going on. And he says, I have 
eagerly desired or earnestly desired to eat this meal with you before I suffer. I've earnestly desired. And you just, man, the heart of Jesus to sit there with those, and there's no reason to believe that we would have been any better. And he sits in our midst and he says, man, not only do I have to I, I, I be with you losers, I, uh, of course Jesus wouldn't say that. I, 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 I earnestly desire it. Like he knew, and he still earnestly desired. What love, what mercy, what acceptance, what tolerance did he show us and he gives us these emblems which represent the, 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 the body that is given over ultimately for our own good to protect us and save us. The blood that is spilled out to pay the price for our sins. He didn't yell at us, he paid the price for our sins. And we're called back every week to the element of the story of, of Jesus who eagerly desires to eat with us sinners because he loves us that much. And um, as we think about this judgment stuff, that's the part that just needs to flow more than anything out of our heart is, is that gratefulness for the mercy we've been given and then, and then to figure out how can we offer that kind of, of, of dinner, that kind of communion dinner, that, that sort of table of love and tolerance and acceptance and mercy that we receive from God, how can we offer that to the world around us?